Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. As the kids are dismissed to the meadow, you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Thank you, Miranda, for reading our scripture. Thank you, music team, for guiding us, leading us in worship. We've seen it before. I'm sure you have in countless movies and TV shows. It's that moment near the climax of the story when everything appears to be going wrong. The bomb's about to explode, the aliens are about to invade, the hero's plan has seemingly failed. They've run out of options. One of the side characters at this point inevitably comes up and asks another character in desperation, now what do we do? The music swells and the camera probably zooms in on one of the characters and he says, now we pray. I've seen that before. Probably never seen before, though, in the following scene is them joining hands and bowing their heads, right? Because they don't actually mean it's time now to pray, do they? If they thought it was a realistic or helpful option, they probably would have done it in the first hour and a half of the movie. At best, what they mean by that is we've tried everything we can do. We've done everything humanly possible, so all that's left to do now is wait and see what happens. And you know what? If you want to pray... Knock yourself out. It's not going to hurt anything. As annoying and cliche as those scenes are, we can probably relate a little bit, if we're honest. There's some human nature buried in there. Too often our default is to tackle everything life throws at us in our own strength. To try to do it all ourselves. And maybe we save prayer until the very last minute. We save prayer until things get really out of hand. Maybe you can relate to that. Or maybe you come this morning feeling like you're struggling in prayer in other ways. Maybe you continue to wrestle not knowing what to say. You feel inconsistent in your prayer life. Or you feel like your heart's not in it. Maybe you're in a season of discouragement. You feel like, you know what, I'm just failing in prayer. So maybe I shouldn't even try. Well, this morning we come to one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible in the Lord's Prayer. 
But as familiar as it is, it never gets old. It speaks to each of us wherever we are in our prayer lives. It's Jesus himself teaching us how to pray. This passage is so familiar, it almost gets too familiar, and we miss the power of this simple truth. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He pulls us out of all of our confused notions about prayer and all the lies that we tend to believe about God and ourselves that put up roadblocks for prayer. And he pulls us out of all of that and he makes prayer this natural thing that just flows from being one of his disciples. Continue in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, as you heard this morning in the call to worship. Jesus has been teaching us how members of his kingdom live. What sets them apart from everyone else. He's taught us about this righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, which on one level tells us we can't earn it. It has to all come from him. But on another level, he's saying what we see from the religious elite of his day wasn't really righteous at all. Jesus expects different from his people. He expects a true, sincere righteousness from us. And he enables us to live that out, this righteousness that's humble and selfless and sincere. And so if Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is about how kingdom people live, then this section of the sermon is on how kingdom people pray. And so we'll see this morning, looking at this familiar text through the lens of how to pray in light of our kingdom identity. And let's pray as we turn to God's word together. Our Father, we give you thanks for this time together to gather and worship at your invitation, to be drawn deeper into your love, and to be moved, to move together deeper into your love. And so would you open our eyes and our hearts to your word this morning, and what may be to many uh, uh, such a familiar passage that we just sort of gloss over it. Lord, give us new eyes to see this passage, this prayer in a new way. And so speak to us, grow us in Jesus' name. Amen. So take a look at Matthew 6, if you have that in front of you. Look at verse 1. Let's get a sense of the wider context in this chapter before we dive in more specifically. Verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this verse really sets up this whole passage, really first through verse 18 and even beyond. Remember, Jesus is pointing us to a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Their major error that he calls them out on again and again is hypocrisy, right? Their outside doesn't match the inside. Outward action not matching the heart. So Jesus teaches us what righteousness looks like in acts of devotion. And he lays out three practices, teaching on three different practices of devotion. There's giving, there's prayer, and there's fasting. And as you just kind of skim down through the passage, you can see those broken out that way. We're going to focus our attention this morning on the prayer piece, but just skimming down through, you notice a lot of repetition. There's a lot of repetition of major themes. Jesus keeps warning us against doing any of these things for outward recognition to be noticed. But instead, he says, do them privately, do them in secret. Of course, he's not teaching against public devotion, public worship, public prayer. But he's keying in on the importance of the heart. We do any of these things first and foremost for God alone. 
And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And so these three practices, giving, prayer, and fasting, were central parts of Jewish devotion. They still are today. And in many religions throughout the world. Jesus is not telling us to stop these practices. He expects that his disciples will do them. He's instead saying, watch out how you practice them. Be very careful. He expects these will be parts of our religious practice, but we have to keep God at the center. Jesus says those who do this stuff for recognition, they already have their reward. He repeats the Father who sees in secret, he sees our hearts, he will reward us. This reward isn't earned payment for anything. This is a gift of grace. We're not told what the reward is. Frankly, doing it for a reward misses the whole point, doesn't it? And that would put us right back at the false righteousness of the Pharisees. But the point is, if we're after the approval of people, we may just get it. You may impress people with your outward acts of devotion. But if that's what you're after, that's all you can hope for. Because Jesus is saying, you'll then miss out on the deeper reward of eternal value. And so with that bigger context in mind, let's look at Jesus' teaching on prayer. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So true prayer, Jesus says, is in contrast to this flaunting of the hypocrites. They make a big show of their prayers so others can see. You may wonder as you look at this text, how do I know when I'm guilty of this? No, we have to search our own hearts. What's it like when you pray in front of other people? How is that different than when you pray when you're by yourself? Do you pray when you're by yourself? Do you participate in a church service or in a Bible study to make yourself feel better or to impress others, to look spiritual? See, we're all prone for that sort of double-mindedness to creep in, in sometimes very subtle ways. Does the outside match the inside? Do you brag about your prayer life? Do you brag about your acts of devotion? Be very, very careful with that. I heard a preacher once go on and on about how much he, how much time he spent in prayer. He said, I don't just tithe my money, I tithe my time. A tenth of every waking hour is spent in prayer every single day. Now, I don't know that man's heart. It's good to lead by example, to encourage other people with how Christ is growing you, but at some point it shifts to becoming about us, doesn't it? It shifts to becoming trying to impress one another, and we may do that. We may be impressed. But first, as we consider what it means to pray in light of our kingdom identity, we need to pray from a secure place in Christ's kingdom. What do I mean by that? When we try to impress other people, we do that from a sense of insecurity, not security. Because we're so unsure of our own identity, we think we have to manufacture it, don't we? We have to grasp for it. But in Christ, we are so secure in his kingdom, we have no need to impress other people. We sure aren't trying to impress God either, because we know in Christ we are fully accepted already. 
We have full access by his grace, and nothing will change that. But often we get hung up. We feel guilty about our prayer lives or lack thereof, and we think, you know, if I prayed more, if I, if I really prayed, then I would be spiritual, and then God would listen to me. But we don't pray to become something. See, our identity is already secure in Christ. We're already God's children in his kingdom, therefore we pray. Do you see the difference? So Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door and pray, knowing your Father sees you and he hears you. There's a gratefulness, there's a humility that comes from this understanding that helps keep our hearts from pride and hypocrisy. Look at verse 7. Jesus continues on with this idea of praying from this secure place as his disciples. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's not just the Jewish elite that are on the hook here. It's also the Gentiles praying to their pagan gods who would just heap up, who would pile up empty words in hope of swaying the gods to action. And this is reflected in lots of ancient writing and prayers to pagan gods. You can see this. What stands out about this kind of prayer is the total uncertainty. They have no idea if such and such a god is responding to them or even hears them. So it was a guessing game, trying to appease this god or that god, hoping that you'll somehow turn them to your favor. This is prayer that's uncertain and full of anxiety. Jesus says, not so with my disciples. You don't have to say some complicated formula to get God's attention. We don't come wringing our hands just hoping maybe today God will love me, that I'll be in God's favor today a little more than yesterday. See, there's no anxiety, there's no uncertainty when we come to God's throne. And God always hears us when we pray. And Jesus goes one better. He says, God already intimately knows your every need before you even say a word. So Jesus says, with that understanding, just come to your Father. Pray simply. Just rest in who he is. Not listening to the enemy's lies that say, you've messed up so much that God doesn't want to hear from you today. Because our access to God rests on the finished work of Christ, not on our religious performance. We, of course, want to know maybe what counts as empty words, this piling up. How do I know if I'm doing this? If you're familiar with the King James Version that I grew up with, the warning here is against vain repetition. You heard that phrase? The church I grew up in took that warning so literally, we never prayed the Lord's Prayer because that was thought to be vain repetition. We were taught not to pray written prayers. Or to recite a creed, because that was vain repetition. Jesus is not condemning repetition. Jesus repeats himself quite a bit, by the way. He's condemning vain or empty repetition. Just going through the motions. And on the other hand, with that in mind, people say, okay, well, I'm just not going to pray unless my heart is in it, because I don't want to be disingenuous. And that's well-meaning, but that's also a mistake. That's also a way we fall into the ditch. Prayer is about the heart, but prayer itself is often what changes our hearts. As we'll see more in a minute. See, our practice 
guides our heart. And by the way, that's why we recite the creed together. That's why we pray prayers of confession. That's why we, part of why we do the Lord's table every week. These practices guide our hearts. We don't wait until our heart's in it. We do them and God changes our hearts. So just know that don't pray is not the application we want to take from this passage, okay? Just so we're clear on that. But pray simply, based on your secure place in Christ's kingdom. God already hears, so there's no need to go on and on. There's no need to try to sound spiritual. Dr. Lewis Berry Chafer, the founder and first president of Dallas Seminary, told a story about a minister who was in the habit of saying these really long, eloquent prayers, using really, using really big words that many in his congregation didn't even understand. This went on and on, week after week. Frustration was building. Finally, one Sunday, while the minister was praying on and on, eloquently, an old woman in the choir had enough, and she stepped down. While he was praying, she grabbed his coat and said, just call him Father and ask him for something. She was on to something there. If you don't know what to do in prayer, start there. Just call him Father and ask him for something. Because we don't pray to impress God. We don't even pray to inform God, Jesus is saying. He already knows it all. We pray because we're in relationship with a loving Father. And that leads to the second way in our text we can pray in light of our identity. And that is to pray as a child to a father. Pray to your father. This is the foundation of Christian prayer, by the way, is praying to God the Father. The Lord's Prayer opens in verse 9 by addressing God as our Father in heaven. Notice how many times in this whole passage Jesus keeps repeating, Your Father, Your Father, Your Father. It's as if that idea alone corrects so many of the ways we can go wrong in prayer, so many of the lies we can believe, just knowing, first and foremost, we are sons and daughters of God. It's a father we don't need to impress. He already loves us without limit. It's a father we don't need to get his attention because he's already with us. He never takes his eyes off of us. He knows what we need before we ask. But again, he wants us to ask. He invites us to to ask because he delights in communing with his children. He delights in giving us every good and perfect gift according to his will. Because the whole content of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, flows out from this our Father. It's all because of this relationship. If you have kids, you know they have a special access to you that nobody else has. You may love other people's kids, but when your child is in need, they're the priority. When I'm in the office and one of my kids wants to call me on the phone, if it's humanly possible, I'm going to make time for that. If I'm in a meeting with one of you and one of my kids is in need, no offense. I'm going to drop everything, and so would you. And see, that's just a shadow. This special access that a child has to a parent is just a shadow of the special access that we have to God. Calling him Father reminds us that he is always ready to give us his undivided attention. Of course, God has many names in Scripture that reflect his attributes his holiness his justice his power use those names in prayer but don't get too far away from calling god father and we call him father because of the position we are with him because of the son god's the creator of all people god loves all people but we don't enter into this 
father-child relationship by default. Sin, of course, has come in and ruptured that. It's put up a wall between us and God. But God went to such lengths to break down that wall that he sent his son Jesus to take care of our sin and reconcile us, to give us this new life as his child. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul teaches that through Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. So, If you don't know Jesus Christ, you wondering about your faith, this security that we've been talking about, this parent, this father-child relationship with God is available freely by grace. And when we enter this relationship, we now have constant, eternal access to the God of the universe. And because we have this access as sons and daughters, we should pray expectantly. Let's look at the words of the prayer itself. Verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this may be the millionth time you've read or heard these words, but just, again, try to see with fresh eyes what's being said here, how powerful this prayer is, how much is packed in here just in this few lines. We're lifting up God's name as holy. We're asking him to bring his perfect will in our lives and circumstances. We're asking him to provide for our daily needs. We're asking for forgiveness and protection from evil. I mean, that, that about covers it, doesn't it? Jesus isn't saying this is the only way to pray. There's plenty of other great prayers in Scripture and written by the saints of history. And, of course, pray whatever's on your heart freely. But we would all do well in our prayer practice to make the Lord's Prayer a steady diet, a steady part of our prayer life, if it isn't already. And when we do, when we pray this prayer, we should pray it expectantly. This is the prayer Jesus gave us, after all, so we don't have to wonder, is this prayer according to God's will? The answer is yes. We have every reason to expect it to be answered, but here's the risky part. It just might be answered. This is a bold prayer. This is asking God to invade your life and your circumstances with his perfect kingdom and will to make things more down here in your life like they are up there. So when you pray it, we pray it at our own risk. Expecting to be transformed. Not just to be answered, but to be transformed in the process. Are you ready for God's kingdom to come in your circumstances? Because this is an all or nothing prayer. It's not, God, bring your kingdom to my coworker over there so he stops treating me like such a jerk. No, we're inviting God's transforming power in our whole life. It means God invading that area of your life that may be You don't want him to invade. That area, you don't really want to surrender. You kind of like it. You like the control. Do you really want to be forgiven of your sins if it means giving up that grudge you've been holding against your neighbor? Because that's part of the whole package here. Do you really want to be delivered from the power of the enemy in your life if it means freedom from that sin you've been hanging on to? Do you really want to pray for your own daily needs when so many people around you are in more desperate need than you are? This is, as N.T. Wright puts it, the realization that if we truly pray this, we might also have to do something about it. 
to become part of God's answer to our own praying. Hey, if that scares you, you might want to stick with more timid prayers. Those kind of prayers that never ask God for anything more than, you know, the health of your neighbor's cousin's wife's dog. God cares about the dog, by the way. But is that all we're doing with 24-7 access to the God creator of the universe? I'm saying this to myself as much as anyone. I confess so often my prayers are timid. Sometimes it's clearly because I lack the faith to think that God's going to answer. But sometimes in my flesh I think it's because I'm afraid he will. And that I'll be transformed in the process. That I'll be pulled out of my comfort zone into the often painful process of being made more like Jesus. See, this prayer is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' kingdom manifesto. This is an active prayer. This is a bold prayer. So if we're going to pray it, let's do it right and pray it expectantly. So much of prayer is a mystery. The best I can tell as I read Scripture, two things are clear. I didn't say I understand them, but I see two things in Scripture. First, that our prayers somehow move God. When we pray, God responds. But secondly, prayer moves us. If you're in a boat and you throw out your boat hook and you pull, what's moving? You are. The shore is not moving. You are. And the Lord's Prayer is kind of like the shore. We're tossed around. There's waves. There's wind. There's storms in our lives. But we toss out that hook and we pray the Lord's Prayer. And suddenly we're praying from a place of security. There's movement going on. And oftentimes it's us. As we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we're being aligned. Our hearts are being aligned with God's heart. Our will is being aligned, being drawn closer to God's will. So the simple application from this sermon is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Whether or not it's a normal part of your prayer life, try praying it every day this week. Try praying it in a new way if it is part of your practice. Just pray it as it's written. Pray it slowly, meditating on the words, meditating on the words you're at, what you're asking God to do. Try praying it as Martin Luther taught, where each petition is like a heading for whatever is on your heart in that area. Pray it by yourself. Pray it with others. But pray it. So many of us struggle in prayer for all sorts of reasons, and I think part of the problem is often how we approach prayer. Thinking God won't hear us because we're not spiritual enough. Or that God is something like a pagan deity we have to stir up and impress. Or maybe we save prayer until we've exhausted every other option because we want to take the credit. We want to be in control. Maybe your heart just feels cold in this season. You feel distant from God. You don't bother trying. Whatever your prayer life looks like right now, Jesus brings us back to reality. Jesus brings us back to his provision, his life in us, And he says, we can pray now in in light of our identity in him, knowing we are so secure in his kingdom, knowing we come to a loving father who is always ready to hear us, expecting God to move when we pray and to move us.
And so as we close, let's pray together again this prayer that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer. Would you stand with me and let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.